Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, we're present in this place to learn and to glean from you. Father, our church is called Fixate because it is our goal to gaze at you with unwavering attention and focus, which is what that definition is. To restore the gaze of humanity back to its creator and trusting that when our eyes are on the creator, the creator creates in us. That so often we fight for the control of who will be the creation and creator in our lives, but here, God, we release control of what that is and trust that if our eyes are on the creator, all he knows to do is create. So you have permission today, God, to silence our anxious thoughts and to to quell our incessant planning and what needs to be done. And God, I pray today that we would be here and that we would realize that in this place, our presentness is a gift. So God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So with that, if you've uh, been here, January is like my favorite time uh, to teach as a pastor. Why? Because typically what happens is, is if you're, I feel like depending on where you are on the maturity spectrum, you're maybe like, man, what are my goals for this year or my resolutions or whatever that is. And typically January is that month where you're like, man, I am going to give God everything. I'm going to you know, pursue him and jump and jump off the cliff of faith and walk on the waves and, and do all the stuff. And, and it's, it's, it's true. It's a great month to really kind of plumb line our life for what we want to accomplish this year. And so each week, all I'm doing is kind of these passion preachings. And I want to encourage you. Uh, we really kind of, if you know anything about church um, kind of structure. Typically, um, I like to rotate between uh, topical and expository. So taking a bunch of one book and spending a ton of time in it and then jump into topics um, for other times, depending on what what we're feeling. But I know for this month, we were feeling like, what are like passionate passages that we could talk about? And today I'm going to spend a lot of time in one of my favorite teachings and parables of Jesus that is found in Luke chapter eight. And I am titling it the dirt of your destiny, the dirt that makes a destiny already worded that wrong. And I've preached on it twice. The dirt that makes a destiny. Now, for many of us, if you grew up in church, if you grew up in a spiritual, or you know, like, kind of the biblical kind of basis of things, you know that oftentimes what we talk about is root and we talk about fruit. So what is the root of our life and what is the fruit that we are producing? But Jesus kind of gives actually a little bit of a... Uh, I guess you could say a, a pointed remark to the fact that it is not just about your root. It is not just about your fruit. It is about your soil. And as sad as it is today, I think a lot of us, what, if we were really to, to sit in self-assessment, what we might find is that, listen, we maybe have good roots and we want to produce fruits, but ultimately it is the soil, what we have surrounded ourselves in, what we have, have built our life around, what we have allowed into the growth cycle of who we are that determines how much we grow and if we grow. See, as sad as it is, you can be focused all you want on good roots, and you can be crying out to God for better fruit. 
But if your soil is bad, it doesn't matter what you're asking God for. It doesn't matter how many seeds that are being sprinkled on your heart. If the soil is bad, you're not growing. Not only are you not growing, you will not produce that fruit that remains. And so I challenge you today, what we're going to be spending our time on is talking about the dirt that makes a destiny. Because I believe for all of us, the Bible says that he is faithful to accomplish the work that he has put inside of you. That he has a good work inside of you that he wants to see come to completion. But the choice must be made if you have the dirt, the soil in your soul that is necessary for the seeds of God to germinate, to spread, to grow, to bring about fruit. So I ask you today as we get into this message in Luke 8, what is the condition of your soil? And if you're sitting here right now and you're like, dang, this is already probably not going where I really want it to go. Don't worry. I promise we're going to get somewhere together of self-awareness, but self-awareness unto proximity, getting closer to Jesus and trusting that from that place would be the baby steps in the direction of where he's called us to go. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell a brief story. How many of us remember our first job for some of us? Maybe we're not even there yet. No, I'm kidding. It's terrible. Bad joke. Uh, if you haven't had a job yet and you're in this room, we need to talk after. Amy's going to knock you over, pour some oil on, right, Amy? She's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I remember my very first job, I was mowing lawns and... Um, I remember mowing lawns. It was great. I got picked up by a guy at our church and would mow lawns for him on the weekends. But the first, like, official job where I had, like, a paycheck that would come and all this stuff was bagging groceries, okay? So when I first started bagging groceries, I bagged groceries at a little neighborhood marketplace around the corner from my house and got paid $5.15 an hour, right? Which, you know, by the time taxes are taken out, you could barely buy a Red Bull, um, and, I, and the best part was I was 15. This is how crazy it was. I was 15, and I could, because I was 15, I could only work three hours. And so literally, I would work three hours, and by the time taxes was out, I got paid like $7, man. It's like, I don't know what I was doing back then, but, you know, I was, I was, I was getting after it. But I remember, and I'm going to tell you, to this day, when I go to the grocery store, I don't want no, I'm going to bag my own groceries. Like, you go to Trader Joe's, they're like, double bag the bags. And I'm like, double bag? Not if you a dog like me. Like, I'm going I'm to bag these things better than you. And half the time when I get done, they're like, dang, this guy knows how to bag groceries. You're dang right I do. Some people are like, where are you going? Don't worry, I'm going somewhere. After high school, though, what I did is I, I, got, I got hired at a, a landscaping crew. And I want to tell you this, this, the worst job, I want to talk about the worst job that I ever had. I got hired by this landscaping crew. And at that time, we would mow lawns. And it was kind of my full-time summer job. But the worst job I ever worked was on the bluff of Lake Michigan. Now, if you know anything about Lake Michigan, you know the, the wind comes across the water, and as it comes across the water, it causes incredible waves and incredible erosion. So much so that Michigan just doesn't have a ton of beach because as the wind whips across, it literally erodes all of the shoreline, and then it starts cutting into the hills. And so there's been erosion has been an issue for forever. And so in Michigan, if you owned, which is where me and my wife moved from before here, if you owned a, a house on the beach, you're always worried about erosion. And in this particular instance, this man had called my boss and said, hey, I want to build a retaining wall. 
because my bank is eroding and I'm worried that it could get keep eroding and eroding and I ultimately could threaten a house one day. And so what happened is, is he called us, he said, listen, the whole bake, the whole front of, of my bluff, which it was over a hundred feet drop down from the top down to the bottom where the, where the waves were coming in. He said, there's rocks down there, but the waves, they get so big and the waves get so, and the wind gets so strong that it blows and it erodes in the rocks behind. And so he, he literally asked us, he said, what I want you to do is, I, and my boss at the time had kind of discovered this new product, which was a 40-pound sandbag that was filled with dune grass seed in it. And so what we decided to do is we were going to dig down three, three to five feet behind the rock embankment, and we would put in these sandbags and make them all level. And as we built them up, the goal was that they would grow into the side of this hill. So it wasn't just having sandbags that would prevent water, but it would be have a root system that grew into the side of the hill that would hold the hill in place that when waves broke against it, it wouldn't erode because it had these sandbags that were holding it. It up. Now, in theory, it's an incredible uh, goal. Now, here's what you have to understand, though, is the most common thing that you can do in Michigan for the erosion of the bluff is actually a way more cost-intensive and time-intensive thing. And most people, if you had the time or the, the money to do, you actually hired, and I had a friend who did it, they would float in a crane on the banks of Lake Michigan, pile drive steel beams out 100 to 200 yards off the shore, and in pile driving these beams down, they would then put uh, a steel barrier from beam to beam. And essentially what they were trying to do is as the waves and the wind would come in, they would first hit these metal barricades, and it would dissipate so that it wouldn't hit the shore hard. The only problem was is it was a lot of money, and it was a lot of time, and you had to do it for a very long distance of the shoreline because if it got around the barriers, it would actually surge faster as it kind of condensed down and cause even more damage. So this guy was like, man, I don't really have the time. I don't know if he had the resource. He probably did, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try this. So what do we do? Every day, and it wasn't every, I should say it like this. It was every other day because we would get so sore because what it was was it was a 40-pound sandbag on our backs, down 72 stairs, back up 72 stairs, grab another one, come back down. And then in order to dig out the, the dirt, we would literally carry 40-pound sandbags down the stairs and then two five-gallon buckets of dirt back up the stairs to get out of the hole where the sand would go. And we did this for over a month where we were just carrying every single day. And the worst part is, is now as an adult man who has a level of maturity, I feel like I'm like assessing how we did that. And I'm like, why wouldn't we just build like a, a little chute where I would have tied a top of and then just kind of shimmied it down the line and then ultimately would have just, it, it made, there's a lot of things we could have done to make it easier. But in the Midwest, we just do everything hardest. It's like, it's like why, why do it easy when you could just have it really hard and show your blue collar? It's, like, it's, it's so funny. I was watching the Chiefs game. They're in the, they're in the Midwest last night. It's like it, they're topless out. It's negative 30 degrees. It's like that's the Midwest right there, right there. I could say that because I spent a lot of time there. But now here's why I tell you that story. Because after we finished that wall, we spent most of the summer kind of getting it all prepped and done. When the first storms start rolling in, the waves got so big they went over the top of these sandbags 
and they eroded behind and literally tore the entire wall down to the point where everything we did was a waste. The time, the money, the energy, it all was wasted because the storm was bigger than anything we could do to prevent its effects. And I tell you that because today I want to focus on how we can drill down deep into our humanity to assess if we can withstand the storms of life and challenge us to pay the cost and take the time of what we know needs to be done and start assessing the soil we have rooted our lives in. Because as sad as it is, I believe this is what Christianity and church involvement has looked at today. It's what is the bare minimum I can do to hopefully hold this thing together long enough to get a blessing from God. What is the bare minimum I can do to kind of get my life enough in order where God will give me what I ask him and then ultimately after that we'll just figure it out. See, what I'm challenging us today is this, is, not to, is to no longer view, okay, I have good enough soil that something good should happen, but rather take ownership of the fact that God has called us to have a good soil that produces a hundred times the seed that's planted. Because that's what he talks about. In Luke, he talks about the seed that is planted, the good seed in the good soil that yields 100 times what's been planted. I challenge you today to not be content with a good enough soil that has a little bit of fruit that maybe gets a little bit of people to see that we're actually good, kind of. But rather for us to assess what does it take in our lives to be the good soil of him. You know, I was researching before we even um, go on further because I want you to understand time frames. See, many of us, what we do is we come to church, we, we assess Christian and church involvement and what it looks like as it pertains to our schedules, our comforts, our careers, whatever it is. Now, when we first, before we even get into the story, I want to make sure that you understand the, the, the purposes that Jesus uses these images for. See, when Jesus talks about yielding fruit, right? When he talks about yielding fruit in Scripture, what we fail to summarize is the, the time frame attached to that fruit. And don't worry, I did some research for us today. You know the famous fig tree in the Bible that Jesus talks about? The fig tree that he cursed, and there's figs mentioned kind of all over. A fig tree from the moment that seed is put into the ground to the moment the very first fruit is picked, if it is perfect conditions, it's three years. If it's okay, so-so conditions, it's three to five years. If you want to know even more, apples, if it's perfect condition, when they put a, a, a perfect soil, sunlight, water, all the stuff, two to four years. Let's keep going. Peaches, two to five. Citrus, the fastest of all of them, one to two years. Pears, one of the longest to produce from seed to fruit, four to six. Bananas, two to three years. What am I getting at? Is a lot of us, we're saying, God, I want fruit, but we're forgetting that the longevity of the fruit comes from the taking care of the soil, the development the rigid discipline of making sure that that fruit can be produced. See, what we get fixated on is, is the fruit hoping that it'll come out at some point and not the development process of what it means for that fruit to actually come to pass. And I would say this to you today. I believe we haven't talked enough about what the fruit of the kingdom is. 
Because for a lot of us, we can immediately go, okay, well, it's got to be joy and happiness. Maybe it's, it's what my heart wants. He gives me the pleasures of my heart. There's a passage on. But what I want to challenge you on is this, is to be rooted in God with the soil that can build a life that withstands storms, that becomes something that produces a fruit that remains, is ultimately somebody who lives and knows the contentment and fulfillment that comes from being a child of God. That if you root your life in in such a way that the soil becomes nourished and whole in which you can grow and develop, I promise you this, you know a contentment and a fulfillment that most will never find. See, that's what I believe our God gives us in the pursuit of holiness. We talk about what the cost is, but we very rarely talk about what the blessing is because the blessing seems vague. What is contentment and fulfillment? There are no words when you start to experience it. So I challenge you today as we read this passage, let's assess our hearts, our soil, and let's drill down deep and not just do the bare minimum hoping that something can be produced Let's start reading Luke chapter 8. And we are going to be spending, I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 15. It says this. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seeds fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop 100 times as much. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I love when we like read passages of scripture and it's like, oh yeah, that really makes sense. But it's like, hey, a whole crowd comes up and he's like, hey, let me tell you about some seeds. And there's no const- there's no like, you know, construct before. It's just like, hey, one time there were seeds on a road, one time there were seeds in thorns and rocks, and then there were seed in good soil that produced a hundred times. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I guarantee like Peter is like, he like pulls him aside after he's like, hey, I have ears that hear what you're saying, but I don't think anybody has a brain that comprehends what you're saying. <laughs> it was a joke intended. <laughs> it's like, I, I know like, okay, he who has ears, a lot of us today are like, amen, I have ears to hear God, I receive it. And it's like, no, like, do we have a brain that actually comprehends what he's saying? And so guess what happens? That, this is what happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant, which rightfully so. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables. So that seeing that they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. This is where we have to start today. The word of God is the seed. The seed is the act, the literal words of God, the Bible, the scriptures of God, the teachings of God. This is the seed that is producing fruit. Verse 12, those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Verse 13, those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation 
they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked. Listen to this, with worries and riches and pleasures. Let that one sink in for a second. The seed which falls among the thorns, those who are worried, which for a lot of us were like, I could see how that could choke out God. But the next two, riches and pleasures of life, choking out the words of God. Isn't that interesting of something to kind of slip in there? Hey, just so you know, don't get choked out by pleasures and comforts and riches. See, many of us, those are the things we're actually asking God for, not realizing that those are the things that he's looking at us and saying, hey, if that is your pursuit and I am not your pursuit, then there will be a choked out seed that you'll never experience fruit from. But then the next one, the seed which fell among the earth, yeah, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, verse 15, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. I'm going to read that. Good soil. The seed in the good soil, the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. I want to circle back, though, really quickly to verse 14. And you remember me reading over and over with worries, riches, and pleasures. But here's the interesting wording that I kind of focused on in this passage before we get into more some practical takeaways. And it's that wording at the very end of verse 14. And they bring no fruit to maturity. So this is interesting because what it's essentially saying is there is fruit... But it's not fruit that's mature. What does that mean? That means they're bringing forth fruit that's not ripe. Have you ever eaten fruit that's not ripe? The appearance of something good that the moment you bite it is both sour or something that you don't enjoy. See, I love this. Is seed that has been convoluted or had become thorny through the worries, pleasures, and riches of life is a fruit that looks appealing but is not ripe to consumption. I want you to understand that in its entirety, right? To, to be somebody who believes in the word of God, but lets it get choked out by the pursuit of riches, pleasure, and worries of this world, is to be somebody who's, who has roots in soil, who has a plant that grows, but has fruit that is not ripe. It has fruit that is desirable on the outside but on the inside when taste is not good. I want you to understand, I think this is the challenge for a lot of us, because if I were to ask you today, how many of us have worries in this room? Probably all of us, including me. How many of us desire pleasure and riches in this room? Probably all of us, including me. How many of us allow those things to take precedent over the word of God, which is the seed that we've defined, that then hijacks the production of fruit? And your fruit becomes a fruit that nobody wants to eat. Or that if anybody gets close, they can taste that it's not quite right. See, this is what's happening in the church today, in my opinion. We've, we've married the theology of sacrifice, the theology of loving our neighbor, the theology of serving, of faithfulness, of committedness. We've married this, this crucify the flesh with also this pleasure, comfort, and in all honesty, unspoken worry. 
And we wonder why, man. Why, why do I not have fruit? Or we get around people and we're like, man, they, they have fruit, right? But then the closer we get, we taste their lifestyle and it doesn't taste good. We have idols or people that we've looked at in the ministry or pastors or, or people on social media that we're like, man, they've got it. And then we taste a little bit of who they are. And, oh, it's a little off. See, this is what happens when soil is not quite right. And that's why we're talking about it today. Because for a lot of us, we want a destiny in God, but we don't want the depth of understanding the dirt that's needed for that destiny to take place. So with that, with my remaining time, I want to talk today, give you four principles on how to cultivate good soil. I want to give us four principles, once again, on how we cultivate good soil. The first thing is this. Good soil starts with plenty of water. Some of us are like, wow, thank you for the scientific lesson. I learned that in third grade, right? But I say that because I think that a lot of us, when we read this passage, we overlook what is going on. And what I mean is, is the order of things in Jesus' teachings, there's always intentionality behind every detail. So Jesus could have started and said, let's talk about rocky soil. You know, let's talk about thorny soil. Let's talk about good soil. And then let's talk about soil that's hard and trampled down, that seeds are eaten by birds. Which I love the imagery because what does Jesus do? He unpacks it even deeper and he says, listen, the enemy is the bird that comes and steals the seed from the heart. Now I want to introduce two thoughts to you about that particular passage. And these thoughts are this. See, many of us, what we don't realize is a hard ground that seeds can't get into is this, a hard heart. Jesus starts this entire teaching by saying, if you have a hard heart, my seeds cannot get in. And if my seeds cannot get in, they will be removed. Now, here's another thought I want to give you, okay? So we start with hard-heartedness, but why can't the seeds get in? It's not just because the, the heart is hard, it's because there's a bird that comes and steals the seed. What's the bird? The enemy. So let me unpack this. A hardened heart develops a proximity to the enemy that whenever good seed is placed inside of us, he has the proximity to remove it. Hold on, let me say this again. A hard heart develops a proximity to the enemy that when seeds are planted, he can pull them out right away. What's a hard heart? Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger. See, we, a lot of us, when we sit here and we're like, dang, there is a level of hard-heartedness, what we may find is because of that hard-heartedness, God has tried to give seeds, or there's word that wants to bring about seed, but that hard-heartedness has developed a proximity to the enemy that allows him to steal every single thing God tries to plant. What if your frustration was not that God had not been planting seeds? What if your frustration is you had allowed your heart to get so hard that all your seeds are just getting stolen? Man, as sad as it is today, that's what I feel like a lot of the condition is. We have every right to trumpet our emotions and our feelings, and they ultimately are the Lord of our lives. If we're, well, I'm allowed to feel this. I'm allowed to dwell in this. I'm allowed to hold this. I'm, and what we're really saying is I'm allowed to allow the enemy to steal my seeds. I'm allowed to develop such a hard-heartedness that the seeds are stolen. You want to know what makes a ground not hard? Water. Literally, that's it. That's what makes the ground not hard, water. 
John 7, 38. One of my favorite passages and imageries of Jesus' word. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If I were to ask you the question, do you get around people and something flows out of you in a way that when they taste it, they're like, man, something's flowing different from that person. See, that's the, the, the moral of this story is for some of us, we're wondering why our hearts can't be watered and it's because we've allowed them to get so hard to begin with that even if water was put on them, it can't get into the soils. I challenge you today. What is your relationship with hard-heartedness, but also what is your relationship with drinking deeply of the waters of God's scripture and his spirit? What does it look like to take the nourishment of that water and apply it to the hard heart and hope in hopes that there would be a tenderization and a softening for the seeds to go deeper? The second thing I give you today is this. Good soil is positioned regularly to receive sunlight. Good soil is positioned regularly to receive sunlight. If you notice, I did a middle school spelling of sunlight there to prove a point. What is that spelling? Sunlight. I challenge you right now, what does it look like to have sunlight? Because what's, what's sad today is this, is if you study plants, you know they can have plenty of water, but if they don't have the sunlight, they're not going to be nourished like they should. And I say this to you today because I think if we were to sit here and, and talk about, okay, we know the easiest way to grow is through water and through sunlight. So if I were to ask you, what are the rhythms of your watering from Scripture and the lifestyle of getting in the sunlight of God so that the seeds that are in your soil can be nourished, can we list them? Do we have rhythms of being with the sun in so much so that our soil becomes a fertile ground? You know, I say this because I want to say, I want to challenge you. I'm going to give you the list of what I do for my own sunlight. Not for the sunlight of, okay, this is how I'm going to prepare a message. This is how I'm going to run groups. This is how I'm going to run our church. But rather, I know the sunlight my soil needs to stay tender. I know the sunlight my soil needs to have the nutrients in it to where the seeds are dropped. I have the discernment to lean into what has been whispered and then see it come to pass. So I challenge you today, what is the rhythms of your sunlight? For me personally and my wife, we have a rhythm where four times a week, what I found for myself is I take extended time. And what that means is usually it's anywhere from an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minutes. I read four different quadrants, two chapters of four quadrants of scripture, 15 pages of three books, and then I have a prayer practice I do, and I journal and chronicle everything, and it is nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about. It has nothing to do with discipling others. It has nothing to do with anything other than, God, I need sunlight and I need water or I'm going to die. Now, for some of us, we're like, okay, well, that's great, but I, I didn't write anything down. Great, I'll give you this. You can go right now, fixate, or later, but write it down if you want. Fixatephx.com slash Bible. We have our Bible reading plan, and we have a, a one-year Bible that right now um, is just somebody that I like and a scholar I like who wrote about it and has a commentary. You can look at those resources. But I tell you this right now. You remember what it started with? Seeds or God's Word? Not Micah's words, 
We're talking about God's words, but God's word to you is the seeds. So if you don't have intentional time in God's word, do you think you'll have seed? The second thing that me and my wife do is I pray and fast every single week. One day a week, I pray and fast. I have a list of things that I'm praying for, for our church, for us individually, and for needs of people in our congregation. What does that look like? I've been doing that for probably four or five years. I remember writing down on that list, God, I pray for our move to Arizona. God, I pray that we'll get a house in Arizona. God, I pray we'll get a church in Arizona. God, I pray that we'll have people who will come to our church in Arizona. God, I pray that we'll get resources. I mean, I have fasted and prayed for every single thing that we have seen come to pass in this building, and that is why I keep fasting and praying. We Sabbath one day a week, not just because we see that in the Old Testament, but we see the natural rhythmic response of rest because it shows that we aren't the ones who carry and create. It is God. That we rest in Him, we're believing that in His, re- in His rest and in our rest with Him, He could produce more than we ever could on our own. The last thing, and I want to challenge you in this, I have extended time in this sanctuary of worship and prayer just sitting and being present in stillness. What are those? We do renewal rooms here three times a week. There's a prayer room, a worship room that runs Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all different times. You can look online if you want. Um, There's a different renewal room, and it's space where I don't have any agenda. I'm just present to receive, to listen, to be, and to ultimately behold. So these are rhythms that I have in my life of, okay, God, what is the sunlight? How do I get sunlight in? And I'm challenging you this because it's important for us. Important for us to understand that God has created us to have a soil that's receptive to the water and sunlight of his word and spirit that produces a lifestyle that has fruit that remains. The third thing I want to give you today, good soil requires tending and awareness, and that anything against the growth and sustainability of the plant being uprooted. I want to say this to you today, and this one's going to be about as pointed as it gets, so sorry beforehand, but some of us have been okay with things in our soil that shouldn't be there. And we're mad at God wondering why we're not developing, why we're not sensing his spirit, his nearness, or experiencing incredible fruit. And I think God maybe is trying to get you to realize that it's time to remove the thorns, the weeds, and the rocks, the insects, the things that are trying to take the fruit away. You want me to take this a step further? Is farmers, right now, if you actually can research this, is farmers that don't farm livestock, that only that farm fields, their number, one, uh, their number one expense, their number one cost, pesticides and insecticides. If they farm livestock, then typically it's feed. But if they're not farming livestock, their, their number one cost outgo is how do I protect my fruit from the attacks against it? How do I protect my fruit from the things that will destroy it? How do I protect my fruit so that it's sustainable and ultimately can bring a harvest that is worth something? See, a lot of us, what we don't realize is we're so focused on producing fruit that we forget there's a self-awareness needed to understand that there's things that are going to try to destroy our fruit. Are there things you're allowing around the fruit of God in your soil that you know that you shouldn't? Are you fighting for a self-awareness that says, God, is there anything I need to remove and sacrifice that is hindering 
what you're calling me to produce? What are the things right now you know are allowing to pollute the soil and choke and destroy the fruit of your life? My final point is this. Good soil is a commitment over a long period of time to steward what is necessary for a seed to grow. It requires focused time and meticulous patience. This is my final point for you today, and I really want to spend just our final moments together in this verse 15. What did it say? But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word of God in an honest and good heart, hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Let me break this down for you a little bit. How long does it take to develop honesty? Not only to develop honesty, but to be somebody who when people get around you, they literally label you as, man, that's an honest person. Good-hearted. How long does it take to be known as a good-hearted person? Man, that person is so good-hearted. That's, the, that's how people describe you. Is that like just a couple weeks or a couple minutes or maybe one or two interactions? To be known as honest and to be known as good-hearted? Or how about this? How long does it take to know that you've held fast and didn't waver? That's an interesting one. That, that takes you going through things that you are tempted to waver in, but then you ultimately decide not to, and then you look back and you go, oh, I held fast. Okay, but then this one is a whole nother level. How long does it take to show we have borne fruit through perseverance? Not born fruit through perfect conditions. Not born fruit, born fruit from, okay, everything's going great, so man, I've borne fruit. No, I have borne fruit, fruit through perseverance. You know what persevering is? Not giving up when that's the number one thing you want to do. Not giving in when it's the number one thing you want to do. Not walking back even though that would be the comfortable thing to do. And ultimately this, bearing fruit with perseverance is when you get to the other side of the trial, you look back and you can see the fruit that came from it. I'll tell you this, you want to not walk away from God? Get through a couple trials with perseverance, see fruit that comes from it, and then you look and say, I could never not go through another trial without it. See, the people who walk away from God a lot of the times are when we hit a trial, it's easy to fall back. And then we fall back and we, we hit a glass ceiling in our walk with Christ where we were created to persevere with him. And in that place, get to the other side, see the fruit that came from it, and then go, man, I could never have done that on my own. Therefore, I will never choose to be on my own. What am I saying to you today? See, God wants fruit for us. But how many of us want the shortcut? How many of us want the easy thing? How many of us want the sandbag that we hope sticks to the side of the hill and then if the storm comes, you know, hopefully it's enough? Or how many of us are willing to drill deep? Steel beams and a steel embankment that says even if the storms are coming, I'm building a strength that will break a wave in half before it breaks me. See, a lot of the times what we want is we want to avoid waves instead of break them. This is the story that Jesus writes. Good soil. The ones who hear the words with honest and good hearts hold fast and then bear fruit with 
perseverance. I pray today that you would focus your time on that. That you would be meticulously patient on those things. And trust that when you curate that soil, there's a hundred times as much reward. Would you stand to your feet today? In closing today, we're going to sing just one final uh, moment together. But just a posture we've been doing in different seasons or months, we really try to uh, lean into different directions of where the Lord might be leading us. And one of them is, you know, the passage, be still and know that I'm God. Creating a stillness in our sanctuary in which we pause and reflect and lean into that and say, God, we're still. Will you let us know that you're here and near? The second thing is this. Psalms 23 has a famous line, and it's probably not the one that you know, or it is, but you've maybe not thought about it like I have the last few weeks. It's, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and restores my soul. See, when we, a lot of the times when we gather, what we're looking to do is saying, God, will you restore my soul back to you? But very often, we're also fighting the urge to be made to lie down with him and trusting that he will do the work needed for our soul to be restored. So as we take a moment or two, just a minute right now before our final song together this morning, I pray that you would be still to know that he's God, but also be available to be made to lie down, trusting that he would restore your soul. So with that, maybe you need to have a moment where you assess the soil and the things that you've allowed in and around that aren't good, the thorns, the rocks. Maybe you need to have a moment of repentance where you say, God, I've been hard-hearted and no wonder no seeds have been able to come in. Maybe some of us were sitting here and going, man, I'm not gonna lie, I've tried the easy and convenient, throw some sandbags on the hill and hope it holds it together. But God, I need to intentionally take time to evaluate my soil, whatever that looks like. Let's be present within it for a moment.